This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. Uh, Jeff will be back on Thursday. I'll be in tomorrow. Um, I want to get to our guest here quickly. Adam Vingen from Sportsnet and Sport Logic. Uh, he also covered the Nashville Predators for a long time, so he knows what's going on in Nashville. Adam, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And, you know, I'm trying to put this Preds run into context here because after they traded away, you know, Niederreiter and Granlin and Eckholm and Janot, I'm going, okay, that's that's it. They're punting and that's fine. That's what they should do. Can you explain to me how in the hell they're doing this right now and still in the playoff picture despite moving all of those guys? Well, first of all, I think you also have to give some credit to the Calgary Flames and Winnipeg Jets <laughs> for being unable to yep. win games at a consistent clip and keeping the Predators in the race. But the Predators did recently go 8-2-1 and one over an 11-game stretch. Now, unfortunately for them, as they enter tonight's game against the Buffalo Sabres, they have dropped three in a row, which could, which could spell uh, the end of their p- potential Cinderella run to the playoffs. But, and, and as you said, I, I covered the team for a long time. I, 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 I no longer cover them on a daily basis. But, you know, having been around that team for a long time and a lot of those players for a long time, you know, I, I wonder from afar if the trading of all of those players that you mentioned sort of lifted the burden of expectations off the players in that dressing room. That, they, as you said, they traded Niederreiter, Janot, Granlund, and Ekholm. They also have not been with, uh, they've also been without, excuse me, Philip Forsberg for about a month. And they've also been without Ryan Johansson for an extended period of time. And, and he suffered a, a season-ending injury that required surgery. So they've been without two of their other top six forwards as well, who are actually still on the team. And I'm wondering if, as I said, the decision to, for all intents and purposes, wave the white flag, I wonder if that released that burden of expectations that was weighing heavily inside that dressing room and allowed these players to play freely and, and, and not concerned necessarily with, with where the season was going. Now, what I mean by that, of course, is, they, they want to win. They're, they're not going to, to punt on the season. I heard Matthew Shane say the other day, it would have been easy for that group to throw up their hands, say, hey, it's not our year, play out the string, and just get to our summer. But, you know, I, I really do wonder if there is a psychological, a positive psychological impact on that, on that group in that dressing room after David Poyle made all of those moves at the deadline. So if you gave David Poyle truth serum, I'm certain that he would say there's no chance that he could have expected that this team was going to be in this position. But with him leaving at the end of the season, it it, doesn't it kind of feel like a bit of a feather in his cap to say like, hey, look at the guys that we've drafted and developed that have come up and helped us down the stretch here. And I'm not leaving the cupboard bare for Barry Trotz, who's going to take over as the GM at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think there is certainly an aspect of that. And, and, and I think that youth has buoyed this team over these past few weeks, namely Tommy Novak, Luke Evangelista, Philip Tomasino, you know, players who were, were are important parts of this team's future. And, you know, I, I, I was on with Jeff a few weeks ago, shortly after David Poyle announced his retirement. And, and, and it was announced that Barry Trotz would be succeeding him in that role. And I told Jeff that personally, as someone who has gotten to know David Poyle 
very well over the past eight years. You know, I personally wondered if if he would have held on, if he would have told himself or convinced himself that, hey, we're still in the playoff race, this team can make the playoffs, anything can happen if we get in. I, I think if David Poyle would not have done what he did at the trade deadline and this team missed the playoffs, I, I think he was in danger of tarnishing his legacy locally. People are always going to remember David Poyle fondly. I mean, he was the only general manager this team has ever had and literally built the foundation of this organization down to picking out the carpet in the arena with Barry Trotz when the, when the, when the organization started 25 years ago. But just because of all of the moves he's made over the past several years that have backfired, I, I think that if he would not have done what he did at the deadline and gotten as much as he did at the deadline, I think people would, you know, would probably not remember him too fondly. I wrote in a story for Sportsnet.ca that his decision to retire was the most universally praised move he has made in Nashville in quite some time. And I think he is getting out at the right time, which he has said, and I agree with. I think it is time for this organization to take a new direction, and I think that starts with moving on from David Poyle and starting with Barry Trotz. Adam Vingen from Sportsnet and Sport Logic joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So this is kind of a two uh, a two pronged question here. So how much do you believe of the recent play helps John Hines keep his job for next season? And with Barry Trotz coming in, the wonder that I have because Barry Trotz is one of the few guys that goes from being a coach to being a GM in today's game, and and very quickly from those two roles. Um, I wonder if Barry Trotz has a certain type of coach in mind that kind of looks like he did in that he coaches a more defensive structured game or does he look at the the coach and say, you know, John Hines is the guy for now or on his next one and say, we've got some offensive players here and I want them to flourish in a system. So I'm not going to hire a coach that's like me. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question um, because generally in sports, when a new general manager comes in and there's already a coach in place, that GM wants his own guy. And so typically coaches in those situations ultimately lose their jobs. I do think to answer your first question that John Hines has done himself a lot of favors by getting this team to play as well as it has over the past few weeks, just because as we discussed, it would have been very easy for this team to give up. And they haven't, which is a credit to them and a credit to John for getting the most out of this, that, this ragtag group, this patchwork group of players with so many important players either traded or injured. Now they're also without Roman Yossi, so that makes it even more difficult. I do think John has done himself some favors. And John's time in Nashville has been very weird. He was hired halfway through a season in 2019-20. He replaced Peter Laviolette. Then the season was shut down because of COVID-19. Then his then his first quote-unquote full season was actually a 56-game season. Um, so his, his his tenure has had a lot of stops and starts. And for the most part, I think John has done a, a good job. The problem, of course, is that the Predators have not won a playoff series with John Hines as coach. And if they don't make the playoffs this year, his record in playoff games with the Predators will be three and eleven, which is not great. So I, I, I do I do think that if this team plays it plays well to the bitter end, I, I think John could buy himself some extra time and, and potentially start the season next year. Now, of course, if things don't go well at the start of next season, Barry Trotz can always 
play that card. John has one more year on his contract. Uh, so he will be in a contract year next season. So it would make it easier financially, I guess you could say, to move on from him then. Um, as for who could coach, I do think this group needs a Barry Trotz-like figure in terms of a, a young coach who, who, needs a, you know, who needs a start in the NHL. Carl Taylor, who coaches the team's AHL affiliate in Milwaukee, who came up for a few games last year when the Predators bench uh, was uh, stricken with COVID, is very highly thought of. One coach that I have thought of, this is completely speculation. This, uh, this is not, uh, as uh, Jeff and Ellie like to say, I don't want to be radioed here, but one coach that I think about quite a bit is Spencer Carberry. You know, yeah. Spencer Carberry, I believe, was in the Capitals organization with the Hershey Bears when, when Barry was in, uh, in Washington. So I wonder if Spencer Carberry, who, correct me if I'm wrong, he's on the Maple Leafs bench, am I right? Yeah, he's an assistant coach. Yeah, I, I wonder if Carberry could be a, a, a candidate if that were to happen, just because Barry is familiar with him. And I think Carberry has earned, you know, an opportunity to potentially coach an NHL team um, as a head coach. So he is just one guy who I thought of randomly a couple of weeks ago who I thought could be a, a good fit behind the bench if the, if the Predators wanted to go with a young up-and-coming coach for a young up-and-coming team. And he has had some head coaching interviews already. I, I want to say that Boston was one of the teams that he had interviewed in the offseason. So definitely a guy who's who's on the radar. Um, so on the ice, there's one guy that really stands out to me with the Preds of late, especially of late. And when you look at the numbers throughout his hockey career, whether it be in junior, whether it be in, in college, whether it be at the AHL level, aside from this season, Tommy Novak's never really been a big-time scorer. But... 30 points in 37 games this year with the Preds, but he's got 19 in his last 16 games. Is this just a case, do you believe, of opportunity, or is it comfortability at the NHL level, or both? I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B. You know, I, I thought Tommy Novak was was impressive in a, in a short stint with the Predators last season. Um, but he's really come on, and you and when you lose when you lose as many top six forwards as this team has over the past couple of weeks, you know, trading Grandland, losing Forsberg to injury, losing Johansson to injury, trading Niederreiter, like it does, it has opened up an opportunity for Tommy Novak to play top six minutes, play on the top power play, and kudos to him, he's really taken advantage of the opportunity. And uh, as you said, not historically a big time scorer. Um, but he's still young. I believe he's 25, so there's still some room to grow. And even if he doesn't end up being a top six forward for the Predators in the long run, you know, I, I do think that he has given himself, you know, plenty, uh, uh, you know, he's done himself a lot of favors by the way he's playing. I do think that he could be a big part of this group going forward. Yeah, the other two guys that kind of stand out to me and and in limited fashion, but like Phil Tomasino, Luke Evangelista, both former first-round picks, They've, they've also really seemed to make the most of their playing time. I got about a minute and a half here. Which of those guys to you has really stood out? I think Evangelista has come in and really, really played well. Um, you know, he was a big-time scorer in junior. And, and it's not always it, – it's not it doesn't always translate, as you know, from big-time scorers in junior uh, to big-time scorers professionally. Tomasino was the same way. Um, but Tomasino, I thought that they made the decision – to, to, wait, to, to send him to Milwaukee at the beginning of the season after he played, I think, 76 games with them last year. It, it led to a lot of uh, controversy locally in the fan base about why they would 
send down Tomasino, but he had 32 points in 38 games in the AHL and come up and has played well. So I like both of them. I, I do think that they both, they obviously have the scoring pedigree. It'll be interesting to see if they can uh, increase that as they get more playing time. Quick one here. Do you think the Preds get in? It would be a wonderful story, but do you think they get in here? I don't. I just think their schedule down the stretch is, is, is so, so tough. They've got two games against the Kraken coming up. They play Toronto on the weekend. They play Boston. They play Dallas, Vegas, Carolina. They do have games against Winnipeg and Calgary left, which could be huge, but they also play Minnesota and Colorado. They've got an incredibly tough schedule. I just think that the, the gas is going to run out and they're going to miss the playoffs. I do love, I like, I like, uh, much like Jeff, uh, I love chaos and Nashville getting into the playoffs after trading away all these guys would be absolute chaos and I'm here for it. Adam, uh, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks a lot for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. There he goes. Adam Vingen from Sportsnet and Sport Logic. He actually has a, a piece out for Sportsnet.ca about Connor McDavid, his MVP candidacy, and just uh, a, a, one or two stats that really are mind blowing. So uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, another, uh, another thing that I just saw on Twitter, and this is absolutely brilliant. Um, this, so Jeremy Rutherford tweets, uh, Tori Krug's wife had a baby. He will be available tonight. To which uh, Pete Blackburn, who is fantastic on Twitter, says, I know the Blues are kind of giving up, but a newborn in the lineup? Wow. Very well done, Pete. Uh, when we, That's it for hour one of the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, when we come back, Mike Fuda, NHL on Sportsnet, Stanley Cup champion and former NHL executive will join me. We'll talk a little bit about some of the Canadian teams, the Leafs and their lineup decisions and all the line juggling that they've done over the past couple of weeks. And now that they've got some injuries, how does that affect them? Their goaltending situation as well. Uh, also wanted to talk about the Edmonton Oilers, a really fun one last night against the San Jose Sharks that had literally everything from goals to goals called back to overtime back and forth to Eric Carlson not defending in overtime. Uh, it was quite the spectacle. Biggest question for the Oilers, can they overcome their goaltending issues? That is going to be the big question that we talk about with Mike Fuda, NHL on Sportsnet, like I mentioned, Stanley Cup champion and former NHL executive. Back with more of the Merrick Show, Matt Marchese in for Jeff. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network and watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two, Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick today and tomorrow. I don't even know where Jeff is. Who's in Dallas. I have no idea. Jeff is just gallivanting now. He's he's being he's being held out for Connor Bedard tanking related reasons. I'm trying to put this show into the dirt so Jeff can get Connor Bedard on it. That's all. Our next guest is not tanking. He's never tanked. He's a winner. Mike Fuda, NHL on Sportsnet, Stanley Cup champion and former NHL executive. How's that one, Mike? Never tanked in your life. No, never tanked. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I haven't heard the word gallivanting in a long time. I might use that four times today. Now that I said, now, now, now that you brought that up, I feel like I'm, I'm channeling my mother on this radio show today oh, yeah. and TV show. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a that's a word that my mother I, definitely used. I completely same boat, and I mean we're obviously not older than you, but I my mom used the gallivanting thing. I mean, I think my dad might have described some of my shifts growing up as a gallivanting <laughs> instead of being him, but. 
No, it's uh, it's well said, and when you, especially when it comes to Jeff Merrick, that's bang on. Yeah, uh, my my dad would probably describe my shifts. If gallivanting meant not back checking, then that's exactly what he would have said. So he would have won that one. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Leafs here to start out. And, you know, they're getting a lot of different looks in this lineup. No Ryan O'Reilly. And I know Achari uh, missed the last game. He was banged up. But is there such thing as too much tinkering when you and you have too many options? Like, I know that's a really ridiculous thing to say. And I know that they've built their roster with a lot of positional flexibility. But is there ever a time where uh, too much is not a good thing? I, I believe so, but I mean, Sheldon's done an incredible job. I just think pretty soon you got to start looking at solidifying. I mean, I know it's difficult, and I don't think as much would be going on if O'Reilly was healthy. I think they'd be trying to uh, stabilize lines right now. But uh, in general, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see a little more. I know if I was playing on the Leafs and they were line juggling, I'd want to be playing with Mitch Marner right now. Yep. Because, <laughs> like, I'm telling you, He's uh, what he's done this year. I mean, even the last few years, but I mean, it's not even close to the most valuable player on the team is this year. And, and the consistency level that sometimes lacking, it's, it's been fun. So seems whoever he gets, he gets to play with gets to score a lot of goals. So hopefully they can maintain their health. I know for a guy like Mark Giordano, for example, he doesn't like the, I'm sure he's, he's doing and he's saying all the right things, but he doesn't like to sit out. He's got a real tight workout schedule and regime and stuff like that. So, Hopefully, pretty soon they can come up with a bit of a stabilized lineup and stay healthy, and we'll see what happens. It doesn't, every, you know, the way it's going to work, Matt. It's, yeah, as soon as the Tampa Bay series ends, however it decides, people will decide whether it's okay to juggle lines or not. So that's how that's how it's truly going to be uh, justified or evaluated. Well, and I, I like that you mentioned Marner there because, the, like you mentioned, the season that he's having, he's got 89 points in 69 games, 26 goals, 63 assists. He's already he's closing in on a career high in assists. Um, I don't think he's going to reach that goal total from last year, but you know he's only eight points away from setting a career high in points or tying a career high. And I remember the conversations around that draft, that that 2015 draft, where there was talk that the Leafs were going to take Noah Hannafin instead of Mitch Marner. And I had the same conversation with Elliot about the Panthers in the 2013 draft when they took Sasha Barkov instead of Seth Jones, which was what everybody thought that they were going to do. Um, I'd hate to know where the Toronto Maple Leafs would be with and not a shot against Noah Hannafin, but where they would be with Noah Hannafin and, and not Mitch Marner. Well, first of all, uh, there was no chance. It's like uh, how you say, when I was in L.A., I had insider trading knowledge on Wayne Simmons. Okay, so it was uh, almost unfair. I, I interviewed for the lead GM job. It was more—I mean, I didn't really have permission to go from the Kings, but I was having uh, dinner with Brendan Shanahan, and he asked me who he felt they should take, and I said, "Well, I know who you're taking. <laughs> Mark Hunter knows Mitch Marner better than anybody in hockey, so you're taking Mitch Marner." And he just laughed, and you know, cards to the vest. But when you know somebody that well, and you know—I mean, especially after watching, the, you know that organization, the way Patrick Kane played, you know, you saw a little bit of stuff and, you know, you wondered if sometimes it play away from the puck because in that team, you know, the top unit plays the whole five minute major. And it's just, it was, it was funny to watch, but I mean, everything about his game now, he, he's now, they're talking about him up for the Selkie. So mm -hmm. it's pretty well-rounded guy. And I mean, again, when they talk about the whole centerman wing position, it, it's different, but I, I just want to see them healthy. I mean, he had a couple playoff series there where 
you know, you got you got her in your ropes. You got her in your stripes. You know, you had some of those fuck in the crowd calls that were frustrating at times. But for the kid to kind of overcome, like, usually young – this has been a strange one because usually you have a young coach. I mean, when we were in Los Angeles, we had Brian Murray as our coach, and he did a wonderful job teaching the guys how to play defense. And, uh, and then when we were ready to cross the finish line, we brought in Daryl Sutter, uh, who was more of the seasoned, you know – you know, the same way Daryl is now, but with a different team, and to take us across the finish line. And in, in this kid's case, you know, he had to persevere through Mike Babcock as a young player, and uh, a bunch of them did. And by the time that I kind of tuned that out, it was time to start winning, and they all, you know, taking it to another level. So good on them as a group. I mean, they're going to be about It's the way it is. I mean, every year last year we we applauded them for an amazing regular season, and they fell like one game short. And this year. They're kind of doing it again in a different way. They've added some grit. I love the moves they made. I love the addition of Shen. I love the addition of McCabe. You know, Achari and Lafferty up front are adding bits up. But they've got to get it done in the playoffs in the biggest position that I obviously – it's not just that the Leafs, uh, I believe, aren't as polished at as the goaltending position, but there's nobody in the league that has – you'd win the Vasilevsky battle if – you want who to be your starting goalie to start the playoffs. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I really, truly hope that Samsonov, with the season he has, gets the lift. But the biggest thing is for them to stay healthy down the stretch here. So I do want to get to a potential series with Tampa Bay, but you mentioned the goalies. And I always make this point that as good as Vasilevsky is in the playoffs, as good as he is in elimination games, over the course of that series, he wasn't the difference maker. And Jack Campbell, generally speaking, was kind of sort of toe toe-to-toe with with Vasilevsky. I guess my question here is, it should be Samsonov, but, you know, Matt Murray had a, a decent game the other day. It was a, a weird game against Ottawa, but this has to be Samsonov's net to lose, right? Like, he's got to be the game one starter unless he's A, hurt, or just completely goes into the tank the last two weeks. I agree, and uh, it's uh, it's based on the whole body of work here. And here's the one that would get me, and I mean, this is not a, I mean, obviously Matt Murray's, you know, he's won his cups and he's had trouble staying healthy since then. And what would concern me is, you know, Samsonov, let's say they just saw it off down the stretch here, and you throw Murray in that game one, you're going to, you're now you're in Samsonov's head, right? And if Murray somehow falters or gets injured, you put yourself behind the eight ball. And I mean, either one of them, you don't even want to talk about it, I mean, but there is more of a history of injury with one than the other. And then if Samsonov somehow struggles, it's okay. You can fall back on, you can fall back on Murray. And I mean, the kid, the American league has been standing on his head as well. So the one thing in the past that you've looked you know, with Jack, as much as it wasn't a difference, I mean, Jack wasn't, Justin Williams used to tell me that Jonathan quick got in teams heads, right? Uh, Carrie price would get in teams heads and not, I mean, at least beat them five, nothing in the first game last year. And they've got an, skill set, but Vasilevsky is still one of those guys that has the ability to get in your head. And uh, and again, they're going to have to get to him early. I think that's why as much as it didn't matter as much last year, I think looking at the records, I think Tampa Bay's got the second best home run in the, in the National Hockey League that I think with the depth of both of these teams that home ice is going to be critical down the stretch. So there is something still to play for. So it'll be fun to watch. And, and when I look at this, you know, I never want to count Tampa Bay out because they're, well, they're, they're winners and they manage to win when you don't expect them to. And so I'm not going to count them out. But when I look at this series and I look when you break down the rosters, I think the forwards on either side are pretty close. 
I think that the Leafs have way more depth on D, but they maybe lack that elite end talent that Tampa Bay has with Sergachev. And even though he's hurt, um, Victor Hedman, but no Ryan McDonough, no Jan Ruta, guys that were big parts of those cup teams and, and the team that went to the final last year. When we look at this series, do the Leafs look like the better team to if we're putting the goalies aside because we know where the advantage lies there but if we put the goalies aside do the Leafs have a better team from a depth standpoint than the Lightning do that's like telling me to uh tell you who's going to win the Wimbledon Wimbledon final but set the rackets aside (laughs) (laughs) I know I know I know but I'm just saying because the goaltending last year wasn't it wasn't the big factor like we thought it was going to be it wasn't the difference maker right but if you're looking at you're looking at from the beginning you've got the guy who's arguably the best goalie in the world right now against guys that we're still having a conversation about who's going to get the start and they're both have had and they're both very capable of winning a series and they've had great seasons but I just think you can't you can't look at the big picture without identifying the most important position. I think a guy like your, you know, a guy like Cernak still there, who's got some, some good grit. You know, Bogosian kind of fits that six box right shot. Same thing uh, that they're kind of looking for in Shen. Um, so there's some good. There's some. I mean, I 100% agree. It doesn't have that depth. Like the McDonough is a huge hole. Uh, when you think about a Palat's a huge hole missing. Uh, but they, they seem to find ways, and until they're until they're out of it, I, I think. The part that really, for me, should tip the arrow in the Leafs' favor and uh, is that they've played so much fewer hockey games than the Tampa Bay Lightning over the last few years that fatigue should just not be an, an issue at all. Like, when Ta- like Tampa's got 11 rounds of hockey, more than the Leafs, I believe it is. So something like that in the long run and the grind of it, I mean, it, sh- it should be a huge favor for the Leafs in the uh, first round, particularly. It feels like Tampa Bay's played more series in the last three years than the Leafs have in the last 17 years, but I I bet you that's probably pretty close to accurate. But anyway, uh, we'll move off the Leaf page for now. Mike Fuda, NHL on sports, that Stanley Cup champion, former NHL executive, joining Matt Marchese here. So the Oilers, you know... I was I liked the Matias Ekholm addition. I really did. Uh, I I've said it here before, and I'll say it again. I still think Chikrin was the better addition for them if they could have made the deal. But you know, two goals for Ekholm last night, um, and you know, a, a goal for Nick Bukestad, who was another addition, and he's been fit really well with Warren Fogle on that third line. Here's the question, though: with all these moves that have panned out, the question still remains about the Edmonton Oilers: is can they overcome? their deficiencies in net. Like they've got Connor, they've got Leon, their forwards are incredible. Zach Hyman's having a career year, but the question still remains about if this team is going to be able to keep the puck out of their net. Are they good enough in front of their goaltending, both structurally uh, from an offensive and defensive standpoint that they can, you know, overcome this issue that they may have in net? I think it's going to be tough. I don't think you win a couple games in a series in shootouts, and I know that they are clearly gifted, gifted offensively. And Ekholm is way better. Like, I was kind of, like, I loved him as a player. I didn't see the offense. And maybe that has something to do with the, uh, you know, the surrounding guys. Like, Nashville just plays a much more stale style. And you didn't see that because Yossi was kind of the guy. But the stuff that he's creating and his ability to hop in is just, he's outstanding, like outstanding. Like, and the thing I'd say where I'd say like Chikrin's a little bit younger, 
Uh, but this guy is pretty durable, knock on wood. Like, he's a beast. Like, so it's a really solid addition. But as you said, it's it's got to be frustrating for Jay on the bench. And, I mean, I love Jack Campbell, love him to death, but he is fighting at something serious right now. And Skinner is a coin toss. Like, you'd like to think you're getting the, the A version, um, but there is that seed of doubt that it's his first play. It's going to be his first – I think it's going to be his first playoff, certainly as the starter. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. If he lets one, a couple leaky ones in early, the game just changes. The whole dynamic of a bad goal in the regular season, you know, you can bounce back when you start looking at, talking about what Connor McDavid is accomplishing individually and clearly seeing in his eyes that now's the time to win a championship. He's done talking about his personal accolades. There's a pressure that you've got to feel as a goaltender to not let that guy down as well as the rest of your teammates with the stuff that he's doing. So it'll be interesting, my friend. I mean, last night, I'm, i got to tell you, Matt, I am grumpy today. <laughs> you know when you schedule when you schedule a night, you're so excited about a game, yep. and I put my clock on to stay up and watch my old team play against, you know, a team that I've got a lot of players that I'm near and dear to, and I'm close friends with Brad Treloving, and it was like, oh, my geez, like, where is this? I'm not going to get these sleep back. Uh, it was It was tough. I mean, you got to wonder with some of these teams, they, every time they get close, I mean, we talk about Nashville. I'll give them a pass to maybe Ottawa or Buffalo or Detroit because it seems like every time they get close, they get beat by 6 Cobb or something or 6 nothing, and that's part of the young youth and pain. But it seems like Calgary, to go in and play a game like that last night, that, that, wasn't, that was pretty tough to watch, you know, from, a, from just the total team. And there's two things about it. One, Los Angeles has got a very, very good team. But the consistency factor has got to be there. I'd be very interested to see what team shows up against the Anaheim Ducks tonight because the fact that those teams are still, like, that Winnipeg and Calgary, and we like to see our Canadian teams make the playoffs, the fact that they've kind of been in a stationary bike race for that last playoff spot has been been tough to watch. So it'll be very interesting down the stretch to see which Calgary Flame teams, because this is a team that, you know, you don't want to, you know, you'd like to say when you look at the roster and the lineup and what Markstrom's capable of, you don't want to see them in the first round either. But the inconsistencies have just been flabbergasting. So I, too I much do. Gallivant, too much gallivanting. Yeah, exactly. Too much gallivanting. I, I, too much gallivanting in your own zone. Um, I do want to get, I do want to get to the Kings, but I'm glad that you brought up Winnipeg and Calgary because, like, one of these teams, maybe both of these teams, is not making the playoffs. And so I look at the the potential off seasons for both of these teams. Which do you believe? And this is only from this is from a sheer roster perspective, not because I know Brad Treliving doesn't have a deal going into next year, and that's still up in the air. But from a pure roster construction conversation, which of the Jets and the Flames has the more interesting off season ahead of them? This isn't a cop out, but it's almost it's almost the tie. Yeah, because of the factors that, I mean, as far as UFAs, I mean, I believe, and I don't want, I don't have it in front of me. I believe that Milan Lucic might be the only big money UFA on Whereas when you're looking at the other team and you're hearing the Dubois, you know, does he want to leave? And then you're here, you know, Wheeler, you've got some big names coming up that could change your entire dynamics. Um, there's a little bit more control over what you want to do. Um, I don't have Winnipeg's prospects in front of me, but I don't see. I mean, this kid, this kid that's come up and played well, Pelche for them. 
I don't know if there's a lot coming that just you're so rosy about that you're like, hey, if we kind of go a little bit of youth, this is what we've got coming. So the draft's going to be bigger for these guys. Um, until Calgary gets their rink situation sorted out and the seemingly uh, getting on the same page. Like, if Brad Treloving, in my opinion, with the job that he's done, if he wants to stay there, there's a contract for him to stay there. I don't know if that's the case with Chevy in Winnipeg. He's been there a long time. It's also, like, Calgary's a wonderful, wonderful city, and some, some of these guys now, when they start looking around at different things like the, the facility and and, and the fact that Calgary seems to not be able to get this new building up and going. And then in Winnipeg, it's a tough place to attract free agents, and it's just the nature of the beast. So they have to, and Zinger's done a wonderful job because they draft so well, but one team has more, I think, got some pieces they can move, and the other team really has to start acquiring some assets so there's not such a dramatic drop-off in Calgary when some of these guys move on because you need some player. You're going to have cap space but you're going to need some players to fill these jerseys up. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, what happens. I mean, Daryl's got a couple years left on his contract, making good money. Uh, I think he's got two more years at $4 million a year. Uh, again, I think if Brad Treloving wants to stay, he can stay. He's that, that I think he's done a really good job of – the one thing you realize now is how good Chuck was. And uh, when you see him basically willing – you know, Florida back into a playoff opportunity. I think he's fourth in the league in scoring. And, um, you know, Goudreau chose to go to play in a place that there's no pressure and stuff like that. But losing both of those guys and bringing the players they did in, I think it was pretty masterful from Tree at that time, but they just haven't been able to find their game, whether it's not being able to deal with Daryl or it's just there's got to be accountabilities on the player as well when there's that big of a point drop-off like as the case with Huberdo and stuff, but there's too dramatic a drop off in their point totals for it not to be something. The scent, the, what do you call it, the smell test, just doesn't seem passable with the Flames right now with regards to what's going on there and their massive inconsistencies from Markstrom, who I think is one of the top goaltenders in the world, to uh, to, to the kind of inconsistencies even we're seeing with him. Yeah, I, the, Calgary has been for me the most disappointing team of this season. I really thought that they were gonna. I thought that. Mike, to be honest with you, winning, I thought they were. I had them winning. I had them winning the Pacific. So. Well, there you go. I had them. I had them as a better team than they were last year. I thought defensively they were going to be better. Markstrom was coming off such an incredible year. He just had to be like. 80% of as good as he was last season. And I thought that they were going to be a better team. I thought the Hubert, I thought the trade to bring in Huberdo to bring in Uyghur, Plus you get a first round pick for Matthew Kachuk. I thought that that was a great bit of business. Cause I had a feeling that they were going to get an extension done with, with both guys. I know the Uyghur one isn't done yet, but I'm assuming that that's going to get done. And so I looked at it and just it, said, it's done. It, it's done. It's done, Maddie. I'm pretty sure it's done. Okay. Well, have that- a peek. Maybe it isn't, but I'm pretty sure it's done. I'm I'm checking right now. I'm checking right now. Oh, yeah, it is done. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's my mistake. He's got he's he's six point two five for the next uh, few years. Uh, at the end of 23, 2030, 2031, when I'll be an old man, he will be an unrestricted free agent. So th- those so those deals are done, and the, and the the success of that deal was going to be on getting those guys extended, and so that was that was done. I just didn't think that that Huberto was going to be this tough of a fit for Daryl Sutter because listen, Daryl Sutter had offensive guys that ended up playing really well last year. Look at Kachuk, Lindholm, Gaudreau. All those guys had career years last year under Daryl Sutter, which I don't think a lot of people thought was going to happen. 
But those guys performed. Why Jonathan Huberto hasn't fit, I have no idea, and it's one of the most bizarre things that I've ever seen. Well, I just agree with you. First of all, if you're going to be an old man, I guess I wonder where that puts me when his contract's it over. It puts you as a gallivanting old man. Okay, okay good. Well, I, I look at stuff where the guy, like the first press conference of the year, Daryl saying this is the best passer, and obviously he was taking a backhanded slap at Gujo or to Chuck, guys that left, but he said this is probably the best passer in the history of our franchise. You know, and a couple weeks later, it's, you know, can't find a line for him or a place for him to play. So it's just, I mean, the one thing I find lately, it, it seems like a very much uh, more positive in the press conferences. And I guess when you get to a certain point in the season where you need to get the best out of the organizations, that Daryl's been a lot more positive in his assessment post game. But um, it, it, it's just so hard to watch that team with what I still think they're capable of doing. And it just seems like they're just. They can't stay out of their own way, and they're not really – it's like they're competing internally. And when you're competing internally or you're competing or not, you know, you're not on the same page as the way your coach wants you to play, it's really hard to play against the other team who's supposed to be your opponent. So tough situation there, but I still hope – I mean, I, I just want to see some more Canadian teams in the playoffs, and that would be the team that I would love to see find a way to get in. And they still play enough teams in front of them that they're capable of it. But one, they can't lose any points anymore to teams that are in the Bedard sweepstakes. And secondly, when they go up against teams that, like, they've played L.A. pretty hard this year, to come out like that is just, it's unexcusable at this point of the year. Uh, you mentioned L.A. there. And, you know, they they make the deal for Corpusalo. They bring in Gavrikov. Like, I, I know, the, and we don't need to get into the Jonathan Quick thing because I think it was kind of ridiculous how it was handled. But I understand that this is a business. Um Listen, they've, they've played well without Kevin Fiala over the last little bit. They score eight last night. Like, what do you what do you think about the Kings heading into the playoffs here? Because, you know, we, we see teams try to use goalie tandems in the playoffs. Like, it, it doesn't work all that well all the time. But Copley's been good. Um, Corpusalo's been good since he got there. Actually, Corpusalo's been really good since January, even on a bad Columbus team. Do we are are the Kings real contenders in the West? Because to me, the West feels like it does have tiers. I feel like Colorado's in a tier. I feel like LA's pretty close. Um, but other than that, I, I you know it does feel a little like it's a little open here. Well, first of all, I mean, Mark Unetti's done an incredible job with his group stocking the shelves there, which in turn has allowed Blakey to make some pretty thrifty moves and. Uh, not too many of them haven't panned out. Uh, like the Fiala trade, you know, fit a mode that they really needed. You know, they, they're getting some really, and as much as, you know, again, it's the method of the trade, not the trade itself. But Gavrikov is, even Drew Doughty the other night in after hours said as much as devastation that he had, that the two guys have fit in great, and he feels they're playing better hockey with them. And they needed, they were pursuing hard for a long time, you know, the whole Chikrin talk. They wanted a big, strong left shot D. And Gabrikov, you know, he's fit in seamlessly. Uh, it bumps Ek, who's the, the Swedish guy from Vancouver, Edler, back to a couple spots on the left side. So it's, it's, I, I just think when, like, watching them last night, the depth and the speed they play at um, is really impressive. Like, I mean, even the McEwen kid last night, he fit in so well. It just seems everybody seems to be fitting well. I mean, you got to stay healthy. Drew looks like he's got a, you know, he's got a purpose again. He got a, he got a little, a little sick of losing. Kopitar is just such a well-rounded player. I mean, Kempe, I was there when we drafted Kempe, and 
we knew he had elite speed, but we were always frustrated that with the shot that he possessed and the goals he scored at practice, it wasn't translating. And now you see him as a almost a guaranteed 30-goal man. It's just, it's got so many different layers. Gabe Velarde's got his confidence back. Kupari, you know, Kaliev. And, I, and they came close last year, and Jonathan Quick had a lot to do with it. But they didn't have Dowdy, and there was another big player missing in that uh, in that mix, too. And they took Edmonton right to the stretch. So I wouldn't want to be playing them in the first round of the playoffs. And they've got the depth to go a long way if they play possessed. And Todd's got them playing a real possessed side, uh, and they... They seem to really be enjoying each other, and again, that's a well-done job because it's not too too far off that we were hanging Stanley Cup banners, and to be right back in the mix this quickly, that's a hell of a rebuild. Yeah, and, and don't forget that uh, Kevin Fiala wasn't there last year either, and he's been, no, he's been incredible. He's been, he's been lights out. So, I mean, the balance is great. Um, I'm sure there's probably some frustrated guys in the Ontario rain that thought by now they'd be in the lineup. That's a credit to the team because the pieces they've added have fit well. And again, when you have those many assets to move for players, uh, it makes the general manager's job a lot easier. But it's it's been it's been good. It'll be fun. Like they last night, they were at another level. They were at another level than the Flames. So I could see that. I mean, selfishly, I want to see I want to see Vegas versus the Kings because that's me would be must see the oh, yeah. to watch Jonathan Quick come skating back out. But they're both going to be in the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see. You know, it'll be interesting to see how one plays out from a you know just from a just it's just got a whole new different storyline. So I, I want to uh, just one more before we let you go because you've been spending a lot of time with me and you know I always appreciate that. Um, so nice matchup tonight on the network, uh, Wild and Devils, and this is more of a philosophical question. Um, two contrasting styles here. Like I know, I know New Jersey defends decently, but Minnesota is one of the better defensive teams in the league, but New Jersey scores and they've got scoring out the wazoo. Which of these styles do you think has a longer shelf life in a playoff run with the way the game is going? Again, it comes back to, uh, I'm not there yet on, like, I think Jersey's coming and I trust me, they've, they've really, I think Minnesota has more to lose right now, and I just I'm still not there. I mean, I guess if you get the version of Flurry that you really are hoping you're getting, again, I'm not sure that the goaltending is at that point. It's it's not elite on either level right now. Like Vanacek's had a really good year, you know. I think it, the next up is Wedgwood. I just think the harder team to play against that could grind it out. Minnesota's going to be tough. You know, if they get the Kaprizov back, they're going to be tough to play against. They've got big, heavy bodies everywhere. I mean, when they start, you know, when you got Felino and Middleton and these guys and Ryan Reeves just cranking it up on you, they can really wear down your big boys. And uh, I think I'd probably want the jersey take. I don't know if I'd want the New Jersey take a couple years from now or even next year. But I think this is more of a... This is more of a learning curve year for the Devils, and uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to watch. I really want to see how they play tonight. Like yeah. it's getting down to the grind now, and they're a team that didn't vanish. Just like I kind of thought they'd slide off a little bit, same like the Wild. But to a certain extent, those teams that were right out of it last year, they're playing with a little bit of house money. Doesn't mean they're not ultra competitive, but there's a different feel for them, I believe, than some of these other teams that. We're supposed to be really competitive for the Cup this year, and these are two teams that were kind of not really thought of that way. That, and to their credit, have really forged their way into the playoff picture, and, and well, New Jersey well into the playoff picture. But the Wild have done exceptionally well uh, as well. 
Yeah, that one's going to be a fun one tonight. Uh, that one on Sportsnet West. Mike, thank you as always. Enjoy your gallivanting, and uh, we'll talk soon, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Take care. There he goes. Mike Fuda, NHL on Sportsnet, former NHL executive and Stanley Cup champion. Okay, we talked about Leaf playoff series against uh, versus how many playoff series Tampa has. So technical operator Lance Kennedy told me that the Lightning have played 12 series the last three years, which we know. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs in 17 years have played seven. Oops. Somebody missed the boat on that one. Oh, yeah, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, you know, one team that has won a Stanley Cup in the last 50-plus years is the Colorado Avalanche, and they are absolutely flying right now. And a chance to win the Central Division again after I thought that there was a chance that they weren't going to make the playoffs. Shame on me. Shame on me. Megan Angley from DNVR Sports will join me after the break. This is the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. The final segment of the Jeff Merrick Show for Tuesday, March the 21st. I don't even know what day it is anymore. I can't keep track. That's what happens when you take Monday off. We're back. Uh, Megan Angley from DNVR Sports joining me on the line now. Megan, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, aside from not knowing what day it is, other than that, I, I'll manage today. Um you know who's managing is the Colorado Avalanche. And, and I said this earlier in the show. I, I thought there was a chance, you know, at the midway point of this season that the Colorado Avalanche were not going to make the playoffs only because, you know, they weren't playing well. They were just ravaged by the injury bug. And now all of a sudden they're close to winning another division title. Could you have seen this division title chase a few months ago? If you asked the fan base on Twitter, no, but you ask around the league and even among the injury concerns as they cropped up, the culture and the process that's established in Colorado is so good. And there are some additions to this group this year in Georgiev that have been significant in believing in that success, even when things were really bad, especially in that December period, that chasing Dallas, perhaps not, but making the playoffs was always in the cards from my perspective. And, and, you know, the one thing you talk about just the, the culture that they have in, in Colorado, you know, no Kale McCarr and they're, they're 11, two and one without Kale McCarr in the lineup. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And so I look at, you know, they, they missed Nathan McKinnon for a bit of time. They haven't had Gabriel Landeskog for the whole season. Uh, Arturi Lekkonen's now out. Pavel Fransos out. Josh Manson. Like when you go down the list of players that have missed time, it's a pretty daunting list. And there are a lot of teams that would have folded under that kind of pressure, but something to be said about Jared Bednar and the way that he has this team going right now. And the unfortunate thing for him is he's not going to get any Jack Adams votes, or at least he probably won't get a lot of them, but he probably should based on how many injuries he's had and the success that this team has still had, regardless of those injuries. Absolutely. The depth has really been tested this year. A lot of American league players, Thankfully, they're just 55 minutes up the road in Loveland, and they execute really similarly there. So they filled in really nicely, and Bednar has helped to manage some of that new personnel really well, bring them into the fold. A lot of video work, 
and meetings that have had to happen just to bring them on board. But this is where players like Miko Rantanen, who has been healthy, have really stepped up and elevated their role even better and beyond what we expected and saw from him last season. And then there's just new players stepping up. Evan Rodriguez, especially at the start of this year, new face, new addition, has been a really great way to bolster the top six, just looking to get some of that consistency back from him. But there's been a lot of opportunities for new players to ascend to even higher expectations. I'm really glad that you brought up Miko Ranton in there because it, it seems like every night, because I, I, I do a rundown for the show for, you know, stats from the previous night. And it feels like every night, or at least close to every night, Miko Rantanen's on the score sheet with a goal. And last night, he notches number 47. He's he's closing in on his first ever 50-goal campaign. And for my money, and I, I hate using the underrated thing because like Jeff always says on the show, when you've talked about it, when you're talked about as underrated for so long, then you just become rated. Um, I think Miko Rantanen for me is one of the most underappreciated stars in the league because he is for my money, a top 10 forward in the NHL. And I feel like he doesn't get those accolades that he should around the league. I think it's a fair evaluation because prior to this season, the concern with Rantanen was consistency. He still shows up, especially through his playmaking every year. But the goal scoring is where he has really stepped up in a big way, and it's been consistent. Even around that December period where scoring and finishing was an issue team-wide, Nico Rantanen was helping to elevate the games and you know, the last leg of a road trip with a hat trick in St. Louis. And that kind of thing was motivating not just for him, for the team around him to remain hopeful through those trying times. You know, it's funny with Ranton and just looking back on his draft, that was the Connor McDavid draft, as everybody knows. He was taken 10th overall. He's the third leading scorer from that draft class behind Mitch Marner and Connor McDavid. And McDavid is lapping the field. So, I mean, nobody's catching him. But it's just it's just a testament to how good Ranton has been. And you talked about the playmaking ability and, and how that was really been at the forefront. Like, he's got nine more goals than he does assists, and he's on pace to break his career high in points. Like, it's been it's been an impressive season. I think the mo- the most impressive thing for me about Rantanen is is when a guy like Nathan McKinnon goes down, and we saw this last year when Nathan McKinnon goes down, Miko Rantanen's game goes to a totally different level. And that's not to say that it's not at an elite level when McKinnon's in the lineup, but when Rantanen becomes the guy, it is frightening to see how good he can be. It's a fair call out. I like that he has stepped up and he stayed up this year because that was the demand of this season and the ways in which this group is different from last year, riddled with injury. It was necessary that he stays on in this way. You know, we talked to uh, uh, Megan Angley from DNVR Sports joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So one of the things that we that I mentioned was the record without Kale McCarr this season. And, and a big part of, of how this team has played without Kale McCarr has been the play of Bowen Byram. And I know you're, it's not a it's not a direct, you know, uh, replacement because, well, you can't just replace Kale McCarr, who's arguably the best defenseman in the NHL. But Bowen Byram is no slouch. And what have you seen in his game, especially of late, because he's he's felt like he's been on a on a different level over the past few weeks, and, and especially when McCarr's been out and he's been given more of an assignment and a, and bigger responsibility, he's really kind of taken the ball and run. Absolutely, especially because on special teams, the power play especially has started to step up and become more consistent. And when Byron has to step in and run PP one, he's able to do that because he has such great vision in the offensive zone, but. 
What last year brought him was a lot of challenges in test coming back from injury. He, of course, experiences injury again this year, but he has some experience now coming back from that and keeping his head in the right place and keeping a good attitude. And so coming back from that, confidence has never been an issue with Byram, but you can always see when he's on. And he came back from this last lower body injury really on, confident, ready to step into that role. And this defensive group has had no allowances granted to them. They lose Eric Johnson. They lose Josh Manson. They lose Kale McCart in concussion protocol. Now he's tweaked something. It has been Bo Byron time. And he has really assumed that responsibility confidently. Again, it's not really been an issue, but you can see the way that it adds an extra step in his game. He, he seems hungry for it, excited for it. And you could see that he came back at 100%. He wasn't withholding at all. He was eating up minutes. And we absolutely needed that balance restored in their decor. Uh, speaking of that decor, like it, it wasn't a it wasn't a very active trade deadline for Chris McFarland, and I do want to get to the Lars Eller fit in a bit. But you know they bring in Jack Johnson, they reacquire him uh, from the Blackhawks, and a guy that was a, a big part of the the championship team last year, um, a player that they're very familiar with. And why was this such an important? addition to the group because you know they've got the guys like eric johnson's out josh manson's out why was this an important acquisition just for the sole purpose of it's a guy that we know that fits he knows the system and it's really just plug and play and last night played over 20 minutes that's a big part of it you know the american league call up that really solidified a role for the team that they traded andreas england that was the issue it was a matter of trust and playoff experience and jack johnson has that and looking at eric johnson's injury specifically that pk was going to need some additional support and that's something that jack johnson was doing with chicago with the abs previously and somewhere he would be trusted to step in through the end of this regular season as eric johnson gets healthy in a way that andreas england couldn't just yet i still think his ceiling is high he's an nhl player but jack johnson is what they need right now and that culture that they've established relies upon leadership voices in that room. And Jack Johnson is just as much a part of that. And it's a part of the winning culture. It's important to get that back. Uh, speaking of that trade deadline, so I mentioned Lars Eller. And when I saw the trade come through, I was just like, you know, that is a that is a really solid move for the Avs. And then, you know, it's unfortunate that Arturi Lekkanen, who was their acquisition last trade deadline who was a really important piece for them I mean one of many but he was a really important piece for them he goes down Lars Eller he does feel like a guy who can just kind of go up and down the lineup can play center or wing and does have a, a plethora of playoff experience were you a little bit surprised that they didn't go out and, and maybe they tried to go big game hunting but they just didn't have the assets after last year do you are you surprised that the the kind of quiet nature of their deadline and and how would you how would you rate the acquisition of of Lars Eller? I know originally the reaction was maybe a bit underwhelmed but Honestly, looking at the fit, it makes perfect sense for very similar reasons to why Jack Johnson made a lot of sense. That veteran experience, they needed some depth down the middle. They were hurting for it badly, especially with Darren Helm. His status was a little bit unknown going into the deadline. It sounds like he will return for this season, but they did need an option at least for third or fourth line, even with Helm when he returns. That's also PK. Lars Eller, excellent there. They've needed it, especially because Lekkanen goes down. So I'd rate that trade specifically very well because Chris McFarland, when he addressed the media as the deadline day was closing, 
he explained that there were other options that they were looking at, things that came off the board sooner. And so five minutes leading up to the deadline, they were considering a lot of different things. I am actually okay that they didn't swing for the fences with what was left on deadline day because I think they would have sacrificed a little bit of fit. And where Lars Eller fits is exactly why the Avs had success in the playoffs last year, and it was depth. They were able to come at teams in waves from their first to their fourth line, and Lars Eller is going to be a part of that. And overall, I'd rate it very well. I still would have liked to see maybe one defensive piece acquired, but I also see that they are looking at this as a window that's not just within this season. It speaks to the confidence that they have to make another run for it again this year, but they're also looking at being competitive for the next several years. And that's why I think they didn't want to give up too much in terms of assets. So they, they give away a future pick. You know, it's a couple years out. They can regain that through another trade if necessary, if that draft year is looking really great. So overall, too, what they give up for Lars Eller, I don't hate it. I don't hate the fit. I think he's actually settling in really nicely already in just a handful of games. Now, you know the as we as we know the the abs are still kind of the walking wounded here um the big one is the obvious one and that's gabriel landeskog now he's been skating with a non-contact jersey what do you think the chances of him suiting up in a regular season game are or do you believe that this is a situation where if he is going to play it might be game one of the first round i think it would be optimistic to say even for game one of the first round. I do think he's going to come back at some point, but it is really hard for me to say when with only 13 games left. I don't see it happening in the regular season because he is coming back gradually, ramping it up gradually in the truest sense of the word. He is proceeding with a lot of caution because this is the result of injuries stacking atop one another. And because there's only a handful of games left and the abs have really turned it on in this back half of the season, I don't see the necessity for him to try and rush back within the regular season. And he is, it's just a slow going process. Even he skates with the group yesterday at morning skate, still no contact. That is him trying to get around the guys, but he's just not close to being game ready yet. There's been a lot of mystery as to when that actually is then for his return. I'm hopeful it will be in the playoffs. I would love to see it in round one. It'll just be interesting to see, though, because he is beginning to become more visible around the practice facility. He is taking part in some of these skates. As we see him look a little more comfortable, I think we'll know a little better. Megan Angley from DNVR Sports, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So with Landis Gogg specifically, what do you think the team has missed the most without him in the lineup? It's, you know, the voice that he brings to the leadership group as captain, it can't be understated. Like, even when he returned, because he had been doing some rehab away from the team for parts of this year, when he finally came back in Colorado around February, the team went out and it was that really exciting Edmonton game um, that the Avs probably didn't deserve to win. And they pulled it out and there was some speculation that it was the captain effect in having him back. But there's a stabilizing quality that he brings to the team because last year's group, one thing they did really well was self-motivate as great a coach as Bednar is that group too was able to motivate from within and it was skyrocketing at the back half of last year. And so I think they've missed that stabilizing quality that Landis brings to the room and, and commanding that and just the way that the players talk among one another, really leading how successful this team can be.
Uh, just a, a couple of injury things. So uh, expectations for when we might see Eric Johnson back, Josh Manson, Pavel Francos, Darren Helm. Like, do, do you have any sort of a timeline on when those guys might be back in the lineup? Eric Johnson probably looking closer um, than a couple of those guys. He is on the conservative end of his timeline, too, and he's been a regular participant in morning skates, so he's ramped it up quite a bit. I, I could see him getting in in one of these games before the end of the regular season. Um, similarly with Josh Manson, all I know is that he's close, and he is close to returning to the ice. That obviously means then there's probably a little bit of time before he returns to game action. Francois is the one that poses maybe the most concern. He has been working in the gym, but he has not taken to the ice just yet. And so I am not confident if we will see him back before the regular season until I see him get back on the ice. Um, But the other, like we know Lekkonen, that timeline, uh, but the other one is Kale McCart. It does sound very non-serious day-to-day soreness. I think we see him back very soon. Okay. And uh, and a quick one before we go, Uh, we talked about Francois and his, and his battery mate, uh, Alexander Gore gave the shutout yesterday. He's playing to a tune of a 920 save percentage. You know, it, it just a guy that was acquired that I think some people were maybe a little bit skeptical about, but it, it's been a really great season for Gorgiev. I was a doubter of his and and what have you what have you liked about about his performance this season? I've liked the consistency. He started good. Really, December was the only month that he faltered a bit, and you look at the circumstances of the team as riddled with injuries as they were, you can make some allowances there. But through great stretches of this season, he's been consistent, and so you've become a little more comfortable in what you can expect from him too. And he, he appears confident in that. He is hungry for the starter's minutes because it's what he's wanted all this time. And so he has handled the workload very well in his first year being a starter Jared Bednar said of the goalies they've had come in, Grubauer, Kemper, he feels Georgiev has come in and has had the best start in, you know, year in totality compared to the others. And I, I think it's true. And I think consistency has been the biggest thing. Yeah, he's certainly been great. And he, uh, he's making me eat my words from earlier in the year. Megan, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. There she goes. Megan Angley from DNVR Sports on the Colorado Avalanche who are inching closer and closer and closer to a division title in which I say, shame on you for doubting them. Colorado Avalanche currently one point out of first place that is held by the Dallas Stars, uh, and they do have a game in hand. On the network tonight, I mentioned it with Mike Fuda, uh, the the game that we have going, uh, the early one, 7 o'clock start, Minnesota at New Jersey. That's low-key fun. Like, you look at how Minnesota's played and how Minnesota's been able to score goals without Kirill Kaprizov in the lineup. Just astounding. And the fact that a guy like Philip Gustafson, who was cannon fodder for the Ottawa Senators last year, is having an insane season. Imagine where the Ottawa Senators would be with Philip Gustafson as their goalie. Dare I say that the Ottawa Senators would be in a playoff spot? I said it at the time of the trade. They traded the wrong goalie. They kept the wrong goalie, they traded for the wrong goalie, and they moved away the wrong goalie. Bad, bad situation. I do want to get a little shout-out here. This is to the uh, King Rebellion Minor Hockey Association. Uh, I'm biased because uh, my team is one of the teams in there, the U16 team, won the York Simcoe Championships yesterday. We're off to the OMHAs in, as as Lance says, uh, despite me. 
They won uh, off to the York Simco off the OMHA Championships Easter weekend. Uh, two other King teams, the U12 AA team. Uh, my buddy Mark Zanette is the assistant there. They're also going to the OMHAs, that one in Kingston. And the U18 team is also going to the OMHAs. They will be in Whitby the weekend before Easter. So a big hearty congratulations to the King Rebellion Minor Hockey Association. Uh, fantastic stuff, especially by my boys, the U16 team. A uh, very big thank you to everybody that joined us on the show today. Elliot Friedman kicked us all off. Adam Vingen talking about the Preds. Mike Fuda, we went everywhere. We gallivanted everywhere with Mike. And to Megan Angley for joining me on the show today from DNVR Sports, talking about them Colorado Avalanche. For the people behind the glass, Lance Kennedy and Jen Rolnick, thank you very much. I will be back tomorrow. On the Jeff Merrick Show, you've been listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.